Well, if you're watching this and you're under the age of about 21, you're probably aware that you're a part of what's known as Generation Z. And Generation Z is said to be, according to research, the least religious generation alive in the Western world today. In fact, someone from Generation Z is said to be twice as likely to be an atheist when compared to someone else from a different generation alive today. And as the research was kind of digging beneath the surface as to why this was the case, here's the primary reason why someone your age, part of Generation Z, is least likely to believe in God. Here it is. How could there really be a God when there's so much suffering in the world? How could there really be a God when there's so much suffering in the world? Or let me slice that another way. How could there really be a God when life just doesn't make sense? Because that's something we can all agree with, isn't it? As you look into your world, it really does not make sense. It's a mess. We've got illness, we've got disease, we've got racism, we've got injustice, we've got theft, we've got murder. We have all these horrific things happening. Life does not make sense. And so how could there really be a God? Or if there is a God, how can he really be the God he reveals himself to be in the Bible? One of love and grace and justice and kindness. Maybe you're watching this and that's a question that you've got. Maybe, in fact, you're even a professing Christian and that's a question that you've got sometimes in your mind. Is God really who he says he is? And you know, I reckon you're not alone in asking that question because I reckon the first hearers of the book of Daniel that we're going to be studying, I reckon they too were asking that exact question. Even the people of God. Because the people of God, the people who are living in the place called Judah, are facing a horrendous ordeal. They're facing a devastating situation. They find themselves in circumstances which are even worse than the circumstances that we find ourselves in in recent weeks and months. See, the people of Judah have been captured and taken into exile by the Babylonians. Just imagine that for a moment. Imagine someone came to Northern Ireland and just captured you, took you away from your family. You probably would never see them again. You might not even survive. You're going to be treated under harsh conditions. Your own homeland has been ripped to pieces. Can you imagine the devastation you might feel? That's the devastation the people of Judah would feel as they were being captured by the Babylonians, Jerusalem being destroyed. This is a disaster for the people of Judah, for the people of God. Do you not think they would be asking certain questions about God's nature and God's character? Is he really who he says he is, if he even exists at all? Well, I think Daniel chapter 1 is a really helpful chapter for the people of Judah and also for you and I as we think about the reality of how life does not make sense. In fact, chapter 1 of Daniel really reminds us of three home truths that we need to cling to about who God is even when life doesn't make sense. And here's the first home truth that you should remember when life doesn't make sense. And it's this, we find it in verse 1 and 2. It's this, when life doesn't make sense, God is not caught by surprise. When life doesn't make sense, God is not caught by surprise. Read from verse 1 with me. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Well, quite often things catch us by surprise, don't they? Every single morning as you wake up and you check your notifications or you look at your social media news feed or you go onto the BBC News app, you find pieces of information that catch you by surprise. Some of those are good surprises, some of them are bad surprises. But did you know that nothing catches God by surprise? Nothing. And we're reminded of that in the very first verse of Daniel chapter 1. Look at what it says. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah. Now, if you were reading the book of Daniel from start to finish, you would quite easily just skip over that little statement because it doesn't seem to be that relevant. 
But actually it's really, really relevant and it's really, really helpful because this tells us that the events of Daniel chapter 1 are taking place in the year 605 BC, roughly. And that's really significant because what we know is that for years before this, God had been warning the people of Judah that this day was coming. One day God said to them, the Babylonians are going to strike and they're going to invade your land. They're going to take you into captivity. And so you ought to be prepared for this day. And so while this day might have been a surprise for the people of Judah, it really shouldn't have been because God had told them for years that this day was coming. In fact, as we look through our Old Testaments, we can see many examples of different prophets who warned that this day was coming. One example is the prophet Isaiah, who says this in Isaiah 39, verse 6 and 7. He said, Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and some of your own sons who will come from you, where you will father, shall be taken away and they shall be eunuchs in the place of the king of Babylon. Here's one example, one of many, where God is warning through his prophets to the people of Judah that this day is coming. And so even when the worst thing seems to have happened in our world, though we might be surprised, God is not surprised. He always knew that these things were happening. Where in your life right now have you faced something which has caught you off guard? Something which maybe terrifies you because it's just sprung up out of nowhere. Maybe it was the cancellation of your exams. Maybe it was the illness of a loved one. Maybe it was some set of circumstances which you look at right now and you feel daunted by them. Take heart in the fact that God is never caught by surprise. Nothing catches him by surprise. He is always in control. Back when you were even studying for your exams, way back in January, God knew even then that your exams would be cancelled. Back when you were filling out your application for, say, Livewire, New Horizon, or your summer camps, or whatever the case may be, back when you were even filling out that application form, God even knew back then that it wasn't going to happen in physical form. Because God is not caught by surprise. Nothing in this world escapes his power and control over all things. So when life doesn't make sense, Firstly, then, God is not caught by surprise. But notice, secondly, when life doesn't make sense, God's mission is not hindered. Well, I'm sure most of you are familiar with the story of Daniel and the events that take place here. But if you're watching this and you're a teenager, well, Daniel and his friends are probably no older than you. And you can see that King Nebuchadnezzar identifies Daniel and his three friends as being young guys with great potential. And so what he does is he brings them in and enrolls them on a special Babylonian training program. And it's quite a clever idea from King Nebuchadnezzar. What he's really thinking is this. I've got all these Israelites. I'm bringing them into Babylon. And I have to try and make them fit in with the Babylonian culture. How am I going to do that? And so his plan is to get young guys like Daniel and his three friends. Young guys who have great leadership potential. And he's going to try and fast track their progress. Force them to assimilate into the Babylonian culture by enrolling them in this really particular program. And if they are assimilated into the culture, then everyone else will follow them. And so that's exactly what King Nebuchadnezzar does. He brings in Daniel and his three friends and he enrolls them in this strict Babylonian program, training program. And you can see, can't you, in verses 5 to 7, that as part of this program, Daniel and his three friends are asked to make three very distinct changes. You can see them at the start of verse 5, they're asked to change their diet. At the second half of verse 5, they're asked to change their education and rule in this kind of special Babylonian education. And then in verse 7, they're asked to change their names. And so Daniel and his three friends, quite interestingly, accept two out of the three changes. They happily have their names changed. They happily enroll in this Babylonian education. But for some reason, they refuse to eat the king's meat and drink the king's wine. 
They don't accept the diet change. It's kind of unclear as to why they reject that change of diet, but we do maybe get a hint in verse 8 where Daniel says he resolved not to defile himself. That word defile literally means to make himself unclean. You see, Daniel and his three friends are living under the old covenant where there were some pretty strict dietary rules. And one of those rules was that you should not eat a piece of meat that had been dedicated to a foreign god because to eat the meat would associate you with that god that food had been dedicated to. And so perhaps that's the reason why Daniel did not eat the meat. We're not 100% sure. But one thing we are sure of is that this is a gutsy move by Daniel and his friends. To reject one of the commands from King Nebuchadnezzar is something that you just would not do. King Nebuchadnezzar, if he knew this, would have you immediately killed. And he wouldn't just kill you. But by the looks of things, he would also kill the person who was immediately in charge of you. In this case, it's the chief of eunuchs. You can see in verse 10 that the chief of eunuchs is terrified by the thought that Daniel and his three friends might disobey the king's orders. Look what he says in verse 10. The chief of eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who were of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. The chief of eunuchs says, if you don't obey Daniel and your friends, not only will you be killed, but I'll be killed as well. King Nebuchadnezzar will chop my head off. And so things are pretty scary, not just for Daniel, but also for the chief of eunuchs. And so the question is this, would the chief of eunuchs allow Daniel and his friends to actually go through with this resilience and say, no, we're not going to eat the food? Well, the answer is yes. Verse 9, you see a staggering moment in the text where God intervenes into the story and brings about favor from Daniel and his friends to this chief eunuch. Look at verse 9, it says, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of eunuchs. This is amazing, isn't it? Because here we have, in the midst of an environment where everything seems out of control, here we have God in the midst of the confusion and the chaos, stepping into the confusion and the chaos and doing what only he can do. God is stepping into the story, into the mess, into the dirt, and he's actually bringing about circumstances so that they fit according to his divine plan, his divine providence, and to empower his own people. Isn't this such a comfort for you and I? As we look into our world and we see mess and confusion and chaos, God isn't just kind of standing on the sidelines thinking, what will I do? No, God is actively involved, even in the midst of the confusion and the chaos. And he's bringing about circumstances and changing hearts and manipulating scenarios to bring about his sovereign purposes and to bring about his divine plans. What a comfort, isn't it? What a comfort. And so God intervenes into this story He changes the heart of a pagan guy, a chief of eunuch, so that he gives and has favor on Daniel and his friends. And because of that, he happily goes along with this crazy plan that Daniel and his friends come up with. You can see that plan in verses 11 through to 14, where Daniel says, why don't we do this? Why don't you put us, me and my friends, onto a diet of just water and vegetables, just for 10 days? And after those 10 days, sure, compare us to everyone else in the program. Compare us with everyone else who's happily eating the king's meat and drinking the king's wine and see who builds more muscle. On the surface of it, this is a crazy plan, isn't it? Obviously, the guys eating the meat are going to be the ones who build the muscle. But Daniel suggests this crazy plan and the chief of eunuchs, now that God has given them favor, happily goes along with it. And notice the result of this crazy little plan in verses 15 to 16. Let me read it for you. It says this, At the end of ten days... It was seen that they, that's Daniel and his friends, 
were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Isn't that astonishing? You don't need to be an expert in diet plans to know that this one breaks all the rules. Firstly, in that Daniel and his friends could gain muscle by just eating vegetables and drinking water. But secondly, that they could do so in such a short period of time, just 10 days. But God is the one who has actively intervened into the story. He's flexing his muscles and he's reminding us all as the readers and the first readers, those who are in exile in Judah, as to who really is in charge. Who's the real king in this story? It's not Nebuchadnezzar. It's the God of the Bible. And even though things are out of control from a human perspective, from God's divine perspective, he's still manipulating circumstances to bring about his divine purposes, not just for Daniel and his friends, but for his greater story and plan of redemption. God is still active and God is still moving. And so he allows Daniel and his friends to gain more muscle than the other guys in the program, but he doesn't just help them physically. Notice verse 20 that he develops Daniel and his friends in every area so that they surpass to such a great degree all the other guys in the program. Look at verse 20. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. See, Daniel and his friends are surpassing all the other guys in the program, not because there's anything inherently special about them, but it's because of the God that they worshipped. God is intervening into the midst of the chaos and bringing about his divine purposes. And so even when life doesn't make sense, God's mission is not hindered. Why? Because God's power is not compromised. God's sovereignty is not compromised. Even when things are out of control, God's mission is not hindered because his power is not compromised. And you know, as you look into our world right now, and maybe as you look into your own life right now, you might be bombarded with areas where life just seems out of control and you're so ready to lose heart. The encouragement of this passage is this, do not lose heart. Because even though from your perspective, things are falling around you, God has not lost control. He's still bringing about his sovereign purposes. He's still doing his thing. It can be so easy to lose heart, can't it? When you invite a friend to church and they say no. When you try and share the gospel with a friend and they don't have any interest. It can be so downheartening when you don't get to the university that you wanted to get to. It can be so downheartening when your girlfriend or your boyfriend dumps you and they're the one that you thought you could have a long-term future with. It's so downheartening when all these things happening and circumstances go against us. It's so downheartening when you watch the news and just see how broken our world is and see how oppressed Christians are becoming in our Western world. But the encouragement of this passage is this. God is on the throne and he is still doing what he's planned to do. And you, as one of his followers, get to be a part of that. Isn't that exciting? Daniel and his friends, they're merely being a part of what God is doing in their world. And you and I are invited on that exact same journey. God is fulfilling his missions. He's fulfilling his promises in our world and you get to be a part of it. And so when life doesn't make sense, Firstly, God is not caught by surprise. Secondly, God's mission is not hindered. But thirdly, know that God has not lost control. Perhaps you're listening to this talk and you think to yourself, okay, I can kind of agree with those first two points. I agree that when life doesn't make sense, God's not caught by surprise. He knows that things are going to happen. I'll even concede that when things seem out of control, that you know God's mission isn't hindered. He's still going to bring all things together according to his purpose. But surely we can't say, that when life doesn't make sense, 
God's in control. Surely that's a step too far. Yet I want to submit to you that that is exactly the case, that we see evidence for us in chapter 1 of Daniel. Because you see, three times throughout this chapter are the three key movements in the story, we see a really important phrase. And it's this, the Lord gave, or God gave. Which reminds us that throughout all the events of Daniel chapter 1, whether from a human perspective we think that they're a good thing or a bad thing, it was God who was orchestrating all of the contents of the story behind the scenes. Notice the three occasions where this phrase, the Lord gave, appears. Firstly, in verse 2, it says, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. You might look at this passage and say, Well, everything went wrong right from the moment where Judah was invaded by Babylon. That's where everything went wrong. Yet notice in verse 2 that it was God who was the one who gave Judah into the hands of Babylon. It only happened because God is the one who made it happen. <laughs> notice verse 9, where we see, Oh, sorry, verse, uh, yeah, verse 9, it says, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of eunuchs. Another strategic juncture in the passage. God gave favor to Daniel and his friends in the sight of the chief of eunuchs. Verse 17, finally. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. God gave all the characters in the story the ability to carry out the events which made the story. You see, God isn't just in charge of his own people, but he's even in charge of his enemies. You see, we read passages like this and we interpret our world as God being somehow reactive to circumstances and people's actions. But that's not the case. God doesn't respond to the actions of his enemies. God is even in control of his enemies. God doesn't react to the actions of nations. God is even in charge of those nations. What is it that Isaiah 40 says? It says, what are the nations before God Almighty? They are nothing before him. You see, God moves nations around our world with the same ease that you and I move peas around our dinner plate. God is in complete control, even of the things which we interpret from a human perspective as being destructive and damaging to the kingdom of God. That's how powerful and in control God really is. And so when life doesn't make sense, God is not caught by surprise, God's mission is not hindered, and God has not lost control. 